Good morning. It is Friday, May 28th. You're listening to the College Football Daily. My name is Trey Scott. I'm joined right now by Chris Hummer, college football writer for 24-7 Sports. Chris, as we embark on a Memorial Day weekend that is just way better than last year, I wanted to have you on to discuss an article I think you wrote. I mean, it's already been a week. Yeah. Uh, your top 100 impact freshmen for the 2021 season. And look, we're trying to narrow the focus here. And I love, I love your pitch. You said, how about we do something on the freshmen who will impact the title race? I think it's a great idea, Chris. I think the freshmen who impact the title race is a really nice way to go about this. There's so many freshmen on this list, over 100, one of which in the last couple of days is actually transfers from USC, which is quite a story in of itself. But there are a number of players every year in college football who impact the national title race. We see it all the time. Usually it's quarterbacks. Uh, Jalen Hurts, think about 2016, Trevor Lawrence in 2018. But we saw a season ago, a guy like Michael Mayer at Notre Dame really had a profound impact on the way the kind of college football season went about. And while I'm not going to talk about any quarterbacks today, I do think a number of the players we're going to discuss have a really strong potential of impacting the way the season goes about, kind of like a Will Anderson did for Alabama last year. There's some really strong impact players nationally, and I'm excited to talk about them. Great point. You mentioned the USC transfer, Jay Toya. I was counting last night. I think we're at three now, former top 247 2021 signees who are not ending up at their original destination of choice. Shadrach Banks transferred from AM to TCU. Xavier Worthy. I don't know if that was a transfer, more of an LOI deal, Chris, from Michigan <laughs> to Texas. And now Jay Toya. Crazy. Um. So anyway, anyway. I, I, uh, I actually had a friend last night text me that uh, Brew McCoy, uh, Xavier Worthy, Jay Toya, three-way trade, who says no. Uh, so I think Michigan. Oh, Michigan's wow, hoping to get funny. on that one. That's funny. So we hope that none of these players who we're mentioning transfer in the next 24 hours. So, okay. And of course, we're ostracizing several different fan bases by only talking about players who will impact the title race. But as you mentioned, Chris, we gave love to a lot of players in the article. Uh, we got to find a way to condense this. And I think people do care about the title race. I'm going to throw the first one at you. You came up with all these names. They're all on your top 100 list. And then this is what you've curated. Will Shipley at Clemson. Tell me why a player who is looking like third string at best could impact the title race. Well, I think a really good way to look at it is Notre Dame last year. Chris Tyree, I think, was their second or third string running back, but he made a couple plays last season that really impacted Notre Dame's season. His explosiveness kind of in the return game, his ability to kind of pop off a big play in the run game or through the air, and he he did catch some really important passes, really mattered to Notre Dame a season ago. And I think Will Shipley has that kind of potential for Clemson this year. Travis Etienne's obviously gone. Lynn J. Dixon's probably going to take his spot as the number one back. Um, He's earned that. He's averaged, I believe, over six yards per carry for his career. He's going to have Kobe Pace probably running second right behind him, who is going to be kind of that more physical option behind Lin Jay, who is more of a outside the tackles runner. But then Will Shipley is potentially there as your kind of change of pace, kind of change of game back when Clemson really needs a big game through maybe a designed play or a play in the return game. I think Will is capable of doing that. He is a force four five guy in the 40. He's got a 36 inch vertical, runs a four two one shuttle. He's explosive in every way that you can kind of dream of. And I really think there's going to be a moment or two this season when Will Shipley makes a play that changes the direction of a game for Clemson. And that's invaluable for a program trying to make a push to the national title game. Yeah, great point. That makes some sense to me. He's kind of a gadget guy and eventually he'll be RB1. That's a, that's a great point. And you know, if you're Clemson, you're really hoping that 
you know, Tristan Lee would be ready to contribute on the offensive line. That's a really hard task to ask for a true freshman, even if you're a five star. So I think Will Shipley, Chris, is the way to go. Yeah. So, and they got so, they got Walker Walker Parks is gonna probably be at left tackle. Red, gonna yeah, lock red down shirt freshman. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And they've got other guys too. Last time we watched Ohio State, they were getting gashed through the air against Alabama. And everyone did. I feel like they did something about that in the 2021 recruiting class, Chris, because you've got two true freshman cornerbacks in Jordan Hancock and Ja'Kalen Johnson, who you think are going to make an impact for the Buckeyes. Yeah, I think they're going to have to. Like That Ohio State secondary wasn't just bad last year. It ranked 122nd nationally in passing yards allowed per game. I think only like four teams in the FBS were worse last season. And that's Ohio State secondary, which was which we consider kind of the modern DBU, given all their draft picks the last like half decade in the secondary. So it was a really, it was a big surprise to kind of see Ohio State struggle like that. And they didn't really make any additions via the transfer portal this offseason. I think there was some thought that Darian Kendrick might kind of be in the mix there. I had somebody shoot that down to me pretty strongly when I asked about it. They didn't really go after any of the other impact defensive backs in the transfer portal. So they're kind of leaning on their guys. And the presumed starters at cornerback for Ohio State, Seven Banks and Cameron Brown, missed the entire spring with injury. So they weren't available. Then you saw Tyreek Johnson, a former five-star, enter the transfer portal. He was in the two deep. So what we're looking at right now is a pretty unproven picture for Ohio State in the secondary, which is why I think Jordan Hancock and Ja'Kalen Johnson can really make an impact right away. Those are the two highest cornerbacks, highest rated cornerbacks assigned with Ohio State since Jeff Okuda and Sean Wade back in the 2017 class. These guys are the real deal. They did not enroll early, which I think has some people a little hesitant to include them on lists like this. But I I have a really strong inclination that they are going to make an impact for Ohio State. Maybe they won't start right away, but I think by season's end, these guys will at worst be in the rotation. I think both of them have a chance to kind of push their way into the starting lineup, especially when you consider how inconsistent Seven Banks and Cameron Brown were a season ago. So I think those guys could really impact the course of Ohio State season. And if they want to win a national title this year, that secondary has to get better. I think another angle here is that Ohio State is really going to lean on freshmen. You got Travion Henderson, the running back, top 10 talent. You mentioned he's sort of like Shipley right now. He's you know, not the starter, but could end the season as the starter. Jack Sawyer, the top five recruit as a defensive end. My goodness. Nobody talks about him. He didn't move throughout the recruiting process. He was always in the top five. And I think he was just such a steady prospect that people forget about him. But he's going to be in their rotation. And he's going to make a huge difference. If Zach Harrison's not going to, if the light's not going to come on for him as a a freak, then then Jack Sawyer's the next Bosa, the next Chase Young. So a lot of guys there. And of course, you've got some receivers as well. But that that room is, is pretty stacked. Ajay Hall at Alabama, Chris put on the show in the spring game. This is a loaded receiving class for Alabama in 2021. I think they had four players in the top 80 in the 24 seven sports composite rankings. Now Paul put on that show, you know, John Mechie didn't play in the spring game. They've got some other guys, Like he's not going to be the top target for Bryce young. I don't think so, but I, I think for now he's got next among the, the, the very likely slam dunk first round receiver candidates for Alabama. Yeah, Alabama's 2021 receiver class is pretty dirty. It looks a lot like that 2017 class that went on to have four first-round picks. I'm not saying it's going to be that successful, but they had four receivers kind of in the top 100. This class, including a guy like Ja'Cory Brooks, JoJo Early, who has not enrolled yet, but will be very soon. He's got a lot of Jalen Waddle on him. I'm really excited to see him. He's somebody who played at Alito, Texas near me. But Hall was the player throughout the spring who just kind of made those spectacular highlight reel catches. 
I'm not going to say Hall is going to have the same type of career as Julio Jones, but Julio Jones early in his Alabama career was kind of like Sasquatch. You'd see all those like grainy videos out there of him just like destroying a DB and oftentimes a future draft pick at DB. And you'd kind of just go, wow. And Hall is making some of those catches this spring. Um, there was a video a couple of weeks ago of him just going up over Isaiah Rogers, who plays for the Colts and just dismantling him on a kind of catch in the end zone during a seven on seven drill. So he has the potential to make a difference from the jump with kind of that spectacular catch variety that we talked about. But he was also really consistent throughout the spring. He was running with the twos. Obviously, Alabama brought in Jamison Williams from Ohio State, who's likely to start across from John Mechie. You're going to have Slade Bolden in the slot more than likely. But if you're talking about somebody who can kind of change a game on the outside for one or two plays a game, Hall is one of those players. And I think much in the same way we saw Devontae Smith and Jerry Judy kind of make uh, impact as a true freshman. Maybe not often, but they made their plays in spots. I think Hall has the ability to do that for Alabama this year. You got a few other receivers. I don't need you to like talk too long about them, Chris, but Mario Williams at Oklahoma, Daniel Mitchell at, at Georgia. Are we expecting big impacts from them as well? I think Mario Williams is kind of in the similar spots to Hall. Alabama is really, or Oklahoma is really deep at wide receiver. Uh, Marvin Mims had a super strong true freshman season. Jadon Hazelwood is finally healthy, former number one overall receiver in the 2018 class. They're expecting big things from him. 2019 class. Mario had a huge spring as well. He was the number four overall receiver in the country this cycle. He is one of those guys I expect to really make an impact right away. Georgia's wide receiver room is a little more in flux. It's super deep, but injuries devastated that group during the spring. George Pickens being the notable one, he's likely out for the season with a torn ACL. But Mitchell was kind of the surprise. He was only a three-star recruit. And I don't want to say only a three-star recruit. He was almost a four-star. He was like number 391 overall in the country, but a little kind of less heralded than most of the signees Georgia usually has. But he dominated this spring. He was super consistent. And I fully expect him to be in the two deep. Um, and I guess you might want to talk about Nyland Green, their kind of five-star cornerback signee from this class. Um, he's probably going to be in the two deep as well as Georgia tries to figure out that figure out that room. They brought in Tyke Smith from West Virginia. He's going to start at nickel, but... They've got a couple of corners that are kind of competing for that number one spot, but Green's going to be in that mix as well. So I think both of those players are going to make a difference for Georgia this year. Receiver, we talk about it's the in vogue position, and it's hard not to look at the, this list and notice all the receivers. Even we're not going to talk about them, but Oregon, you mentioned they've got two receivers who are going to factor in for whoever starts at quarterback for them. And it's just, it's the re- receiver is a new arms race. Um, well, a, a it's also. Pro- it's also easier for receivers to get on the field right away. Like we don't talk about a lot of linemen in these cases because it's very difficult for an offensive lineman to play year one. It just doesn't happen all that often, but receivers, they play so much seven on seven. They're more college ready, a lot like running backs are. So it's, we have a lot of receivers on this list because they're the most likely to play, I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah. Well, I got a traditional lineman for you. Corey Foreman, defensive lineman edge really for USC. I don't even think he's on campus yet, but he's good enough to, if he got on campus today and the game started in two weeks, he'd probably see the field. I think Corey Foreman is the Will Anderson of this class. Will Anderson came in right away for Alabama. He was an early enrollee, but he led the nation in pressures last year. I think Corey Foreman has that sort of potential. Corey Foreman's probably not going to start. He's going to kind of be Drake Jackson's backup, but I would still put the over-under for Corey Foreman in terms of sacks this year at 10. Like I think he's really? going to have that strong 10? season. Yeah, 10. Over-under of 10. I think he's going to come in right away. He's going to see a significant number of snaps off the edge, and they're going to have him do exactly what he does best, which is get after the quarterback. In fact, his position coach at USC was recently asked what his position is going to be, and he literally just called him a hunter. 
Like he's going to hunt the quarterback and you can't teach Foreman's combination of size, power, and athletic ability. And I think in the Pac-12, not exactly the land of elite offensive linemen, Corey Foreman's going to have a field day from the jump. Jeez, 10? Whoa, I'm going to hit the under just to, I think I'm going to get, I mean, it's geez, I mean, That'd be insane. Well, like, if you think about it, if you think about it, I don't remember how many Kayvon Thibodeau had as a true freshman, but it was very close to that number. And he didn't even start until midseason. So if you give Corey Foreman, who I think might be a better prospect than Kayvon was at this point, as a true freshman, he's a little more put together physically. I really do think Corey has that type of potential to come in right away and put up those kind of numbers. He's that good. Well, I, I will say, Chris, you, you mentioned he's Drake Jackson's backup. And I think most people listening will know who Drake Jackson is, one of the best edge rushers in the country. It would be coaching malpractice if Todd Orlando does not have Corey Foreman and Drake Jackson on the field at the same time. Absolutely. And I think he's going to see a lot of reps kind of throughout the line. The one thing about Corey is he's capable of playing a number of positions along the line. Todd Orlando runs a more traditional 3-4. So I really do think Corey could both be kind of that outside linebacker who causes havoc uh, in the box. And he can also put his hand on the ground as kind of a 3-4 strong side end. So I think Corey's going to see the field plenty in order to kind of maybe reach those lofty statistics I was just talking about. All right. So... I feel like we've we've covered the slam dunk title contenders pretty well here. I, I hope there's not a team I'm forgetting about. Give me a dark horse down in Baton Rouge, Chris. A little undersized player, but LSU, they've had some success with undersized football savvy defensive backs before. Yeah, I really like Sage Ryan, and I don't think I'm alone on that. We had him as, uh, I think, the number 40 overall player in the country. He was a five-star per the composite. He's only 5'11", 193, but he's just one of those guys who's always around the football. The dude has great ball skills, an elite athlete for his size, absolutely, can do everything well, like a 4'4 guy kind of a 36 inch vertical to go along with that. He's pretty well put together at 200 pounds and he just finds the football. And LSU, while it's really set at cornerback, Derek Stingley and Eli Ricks are going to be the best one-two combo in the country at that position. They have a little bit more to kind of prove its safety, even with Major Burns coming in from Georgia and even with Jay Ward sliding from cornerback to safety. LSU needs to get better at that position. And Sage Ryan's capable of coming in and playing corner. He's capable of coming in and playing nickel. He's capable of coming in and playing safety. And I don't really care where you put him. I think he's going to play for LSU this year. And I think he's got an excellent chance by midseason to be starting at safety or at nickel for LSU. I think he's that good. And I think he's going to be the next in line of a great LSU defensive back group, just like we've seen Derek Stingley and Eli Ricks make impacts as true freshmen in the last two years. I think Sage Ryan capable of doing the same thing yeah i think when you talk about sage ryan you talk about he could play anywhere i think that that reminds me of alabama's excellent freshman in 2020 malachi Moore. similar frame chris i feel like we're talking about a nickel back here in sage ryan which is a really important position right now you you wrote a great story a few weeks ago about how some of the best receivers now on all levels of football are, are playing in the slot rather than the outside and you need someone to be able to man their territory there if sage ryan's as good as we think he could be LSU not only has the best one-two punch at corner, but this is potentially one of the best defensive back groups in the country. So I, I think that's that, that's great for LSU, and they, they they need all the help they can get after they had the the third worst defense in college football last year. Yeah, absolutely. That group that group really struggled. A lot like Ohio State, but people talked about LSU a little bit more. LSU just got gashed through the second, like through the air, over and over and over again. And a lot of times, it was just a matter of like 
them not being in the right position. I think that's going to be a little bit better this year uh, with Bo Pelini being out. I don't really think that was a great fit for LSU, but a guy like Sage Ryan is going to really help in the secondary with that. He is an instinctual football player. He's usually in the right place and he's just going to make a lot of plays for LSU as a true freshman. I'm very excited to watch him. I don't think we've forgotten any teams that we, we, you know, top five slam dunks. We, I talked about Notre Dame's O-lineman last week. You've got North Carolina. You've been high on their defensive, how they've recruited on the D-line. You know, are we tipping our hand here with USC as a better playoff contender than Oregon? Probably. That's my you want, opinion. Might not be you, yours. You want to talk one more, another uh, cornerback real quick before we go? I think I could handle it. Yeah. Who do you got? Right. I got Jason Marshall from Florida. He was an early enrollee for the Gators. I, I also don't really consider Florida a national title contender this year. I think they're going to take a slight step back. But Jason Marshall is going to be next to Kyer Elam in the starting lineup for Florida. And Elam's going to probably be a first-round pick by the time this season's said and done. And I think Jason Marshall's kind of next for Florida in that light. He had a really strong spring. He was a five-star for us. He's got college-ready size at 6'2", 180. And people have raved around about him in Gainesville so far. He has been excellent. And I think he's going to be, if not the best, one of the best true freshman defensive backs in the country. He's an immediate starter and he is going to make a huge impact for the Gators. And at secondary at times last year under Todd Grantham, that really struggled. I think people make all the jokes about Marco Wilson throwing a shoe, but Marco Wilson did not have the season people expected him to. Neither did Kyrie Elam, to be frank. Both of them struggled at times. And I think Jason Marshall coming in can kind of help solve some of the issues Florida had in the secondary season ago. Yeah, that was a massive recruiting win for Florida. Hey, you had mentioned Ohio State and LSU is our modern day DBUs. I think you know, Florida is really close to that. It feels like they're always spitting out somebody. And hey, to your point, those two guys didn't play as well last year. And they were ex- both expected to be pretty good after CJ Henderson left and, and they didn't step up. So let's see if uh, if Marshall does. Chris Hummer, we appreciate you joining us. Have a nice three-day weekend. We're going to be pretty busy in June, so I hope you uh, get to the pool, get a pina colada, and just kind of uh, r- relax and enjoy a well-earned vacation. Our producer is Lance Glenn, who will be handling Monday's episode. My name is Trey Scott. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you next time on the College Football Daily.